0: Father in heaven, it is a privilege for us to be found in your house on your day with your people. Lord, we do make it a habit of being here every week, and for some of us, the cars kind of just drive themselves here on a Sunday, it it just is so... Uh, much part of our routine it's part of our uh, week that we couldn't really imagine being anywhere else Uh, and yet Lord we can be so prone to coming and going through the routine that we forget just how special this is Lord that we come before a God who is holy and majestic and mighty and we can say Father and speak as a son, speak as a daughter to the one who creates the universe. And so, Lord, I I pray that as we go through our service, Lord, as we stand to sing now, as we open your word, Lord, I pray that the wonderful reality of, of where we are, to whom we come tonight, begins to just saturate our thoughts, and thrill our hearts. Lord, we pray that we would just not go through the routine and the rut of another service, but Lord, that you would lift us higher by meeting with us. And so, Lord, we would pray that we would know you here with us this evening. We ask this in your name. Amen. It's very difficult to be praising and pouting at the same time. It's difficult to pray whenever you're pouting. Come to think about it, whenever you see someone pout, it's very difficult for them to be doing anything else other than pouting. Takes all your energy, it takes all your focus. It tends to be kind of something that sucks everything else in your life into that mood, into that funk, that pouting, that sadness. And yet what I would say as well is that it's very difficult to get into a place where you're pouting if you're in a place where you're praising. It's hard to pout when you're in a place where you're praying. This morning we we saw how this Great little story at the end of chapter 10 with Mary and Martha. Uh, they had Jesus over at their house. <laughs> kind of the pressure of having to do that. And Martha was busy cooking, preparing. She wanted to make a good impression. She wanted to do it right for Jesus. We're all there, right? We want to make a good impression. We want to get it right. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. One was working while the other was worshiping. One was pouting while the other was praising. Martha turned around to Jesus and said, Don't you even care? Don't you care that I'm the one who's doing all the work by myself? Don't you care that it's me who's carrying the burden for everyone else around me? Tell her to get up and help me. Tell her to get up off that seat and do something. We've been there, right? Maybe not in church work. Maybe in church work. Probably in church church work. But maybe at home or at work or any countless number of scenarios. We notice, like, to have all our focus on that place where it's like, ah, everyone else is kind of frustrating me. It's only me. Poor little me. Why haven't you done what I want you to do, God? Why am I the one doing all the work while these guys just seem to get away with doing so little? And we begin to pout. It's hard to be praising when you're pouting. And it's very hard when you're praising to get to pouting. In fact, I would say that if you're a powder right now, in this moment, right now, in the, in the service, before we get any further, make a commitment to yourself right now. Make a commitment before God right now and say, okay, in this moment, I'm going to turn away from pouting. I'm going to kind of just get away from that. I'm going to sort of try and switch that off and change my focus. I'm going to change my attitude. God, I want to be someone who's marked by prayer and praise rather than pouting. Make an internal conversion, if you will. And this interaction between Jesus and Mary and Martha didn't go unnoticed in the Scripture. The disciples were watching it. They were taking mental notes of this. They were listening in to what was going on. And then in chapter 11... They are watching Jesus as he's praying. And Luke ties these two events together. Now, they didn't happen side by side, chronologically speaking. If you were to try and fit the Bible together in chronological order, you could probably fit John 9 and most of John 10 into this gap between Luke 10 and 11. Kind of just if you want to sort of put everything in chronological order. Luke kind of skips over a bit because he wants to make this connection. He wants to bring these two things together in our mind. He wants to show us that the disciples have been noticing and watching and the prayer life of Jesus and the pouting and the praising of Mary and Martha. And he ties them here together in the start of chapter 11. So let's let's read. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. This is the fifth time in the opening Uh, a dozen chapters that Luke mentions the prayer life of Jesus. And the 12 have noticed something dynamic in the life of Jesus that they were maybe lacking in their own prayer lives. Now, what's interesting is this is the only thing that the disciples ask Jesus to teach them. They don't ask Jesus, as far as we can tell in Scripture, they never say, Jesus, teach us how to preach like you, even though we know that Jesus taught with an authority that the rest of the people hadn't seen. Or, 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 Jesus, teach us how to do a church plant. Teach us how to get the crowds around you the way you do. The only thing that they ever requested is, Lord, teach us to pray. Because if you get this right, you get the rest right. This is the foundation. And if you, kinda, if you don't get the foundation right, it doesn't matter what you build on top of it, it's all going to be ski with. Now again, notice how it's worded. They didn't say, "Lord, teach us how to pray." They were Jewish. They, they grew up, I mean in one of the most religious, spiritualized nations in the world. They would have grown up reciting prayers. They'd have grown up knowing and, and doing this on a daily basis. Every morning, the Jewish people had to wake up and they recited a prayer. They know how to pray. But this isn't about how to pray. This is about the desire to pray and there's a world of difference between knowing how to pray and wanting to pray now if you're not sure how to pray let me just sum it all up in one sentence if you're not sure how to pray just talk to god about it and you'll be okay but what about that desire to pray because if we're being honest with ourselves if, and across history, all the great Christians they would all say the same thing: the one area of their life that they wish they could improve on, the one thing that they wish they could have excelled f- further in or done more of or been better at, is that desire to pray. And so what we come to is what 's typically known as Luke's version of the lord 's prayer it 's misnamed. We call it the Lord's Prayer because the letters are in red and Jesus is saying the words. And so often we then say, well, that's the Lord's Prayer. But really, if you want to get uh, accurate, it's the disciples' prayer. The real Lord's Prayer, Jesus' prayer is John 17, that high priestly prayer. That's the Lord's Prayer. But uh, I feel like that's an uphill battle trying to get people to change their minds now. So we call it the Lord's Prayer right? That, this is the one we're talking about. But this, it's really the disciples' prayer. It's a template for prayer. I think it's something that is good for you to know. I think it's something that you should recite. I think it's something that you should be reciting. And if you don't want to do that, then at least use it as a template for your daily prayers. I'll kind of talk you through a wee bit as we go through it, but I challenge you on, on the back of this message to to pray the Lord's prayer over your life every single day. Every single day, make that commitment to do it. Now, I know some of you are going to say, "Oh, we're not supposed to do that." You see, I mean, we did it at school, we did it in um, Sunday school or whatever. But Jesus said, "Don't use vain repetitions." And if there's ever a thing, a prayer that gets vainly repeated is the Lord's prayer. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm not sure what that noise was. Uh, uh, we'll try that again. <clears throat> There's nothing worse than whenever you start praying the Lord's Prayer as a group, as a congregation. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy I, I, And it is the vain repetition that Jesus kind of warned us about. And for so many of us then, we've backed away from praying the Lord's Prayer. We back away from making it the temple for our lives because we're scared of falling into that same monotony. So here's the best way of avoiding vain repetition when it comes to the Lord's Prayer. Whenever you say it, mean it. And then it's not vain repetition. Mean it. When you pray, pray it from your heart. Don't just spout it out. Mean it. And then it's not going to be vain repetition. And so he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Now you'll notice here that the first part of the prayer, it's all about God. He doesn't say when you pray, get stuck into your request. You have a small window of time before God loses interest. So if you need to, you've got to get those requests in fast. I need this, I need this, I need this, and this. Amen. Boom, record time. That's not how Jesus encourages us to pray. Rather, make sure that when you talk to your Father, your prayer life is balanced. And so, the first part of our prayers should be recognizing to whom we come. Because when you recognize who you're speaking to, that makes it so much easier to come to Him with your requests. It anchors you in trust and hope and security because you know, okay, I know who I'm talking to. That makes it such a world of a difference. I submit to you that the more mature you are, as a Christian, the more mature you are in the Lord, the less the lists matter of me's and mine and I, my, me myself, because you get to a point where you realise, like I have a relationship with God. My name's written in heaven. I don't care about all my stuff because I trust him. I love him. I know that he is going to do what is best And we're trusting in him. So I'm just going to, rather than come and start making demands, I'm going to come and rest in him. Because yes, I'm getting overwhelmed. I'm getting super stressed out. I'm getting anxious. So instead of just panicking and making demands, I'm going to come and I'm going to rest in who he is to let my faith uh, swell again. (coughs) My two girls have a favorite Line, a favorite phrase when they like to use when speaking to each other. Um, it goes something like this It's mine. They always kind of make three extra syllables in the word mine. That's, that's how you know it's them. It's mine. Uh, uh. And then I say, No, sweetheart, it's not. It's mine. And then they cry. It's the instinctive reaction, though, of, of, of children, it's the selfishness of immaturity. I had it, it's mine, give it back. Now, I was like this whenever I was a kid. I can't really remember it, but I still have that tendency in me now, so I'm assuming it was much worse whenever I was younger, okay? I'm just making that assumption. I'm still prone to it. That TV remote, my remote. That spot, that's my spot. That's where I sit, shift. That last chocolate brownie, it's my chocolate brownie. And then I don't get it, and then there's tears. But as I get older, I realize that my relationship with my parents has changed. I don't now just say, Mom, I want. Dad, I want. I don't do that. I've been on my phone a couple of times with my dad this week and talking about different things. And it's never, like, it's mine. I want, I need, give me. Uh, hopefully I've matured a wee bit. But now my conversations go more like, so how have you been, mom? How, how's things going? Have you been speaking to my granny? Uh, it's good just to talk to you. Put that on. I want to arrange a game of snooker with him. I want to try and meet up at some point and just relax. Hopefully that's a reflection of a more mature relationship. And I think the older we get in the Lord, that's what it's like when we pray, Lord, just here I am. I'm in your presence. And as I'm here, I acknowledge to whom I come. I'm going to rest in who you are because it's just so good to speak to you. It's just so good to talk to you. Our Father. Now, notice, whenever Jesus is teaching us to pray, he doesn't say, now, whenever you pray, make sure you go on at length about listing the characteristics of God. There's none of this great and awesome God, mighty and... We don't get that in this opening phrases of the prayer. Now, he is all of those things, and it's important that we realize that, but he's more than that. He's your Father. He's Abba, Father, and Jesus said that's how we come to God. It's good to recognise the power and the majesty and the might of God. Of course, it is. It's very important, though, that we first of all recognise the relationship that we have with Him. Could you imagine if I Ruth took me to some event for her work, which sounds like a horrible ordeal? She wouldn't put me through that. I hope. But as she'd be introducing me to her co-workers, she might say something like, "Well, look, this is Jeff. He's a pastor." He likes football, he played fullback for rugby, and he's uh, very busy all the time. And at no point did she ever say to any of her co-workers, oh, and he is my husband. If at no point did she... She may have listed attributes, qualities, things that I, I make up my personality, make up my character, but at no point actually identified the relationship and made known the relationship... I would leave that event, glad to be leaving the event, but really kind of hurt. Hurting because my wife acknowledged so many things about me except the bit that matters the most to me, our relationship. I may be all those things, but the most important thing is that I'm her husband, that she's my wife, that we have children, that we're a family. So when we come to God and say, our Father, that's not a lesser thing than saying, God, you're mighty and holy and righteous. We're identifying something that is so crucial, not only to us, but to him as well. He paid a great price to become our Father. But it's not just our Father. Our Father, but Matthew reminds us that it's our Father who art in heaven. So there comes the great and awesome and mighty God bit, if you will. It comes after we first recognize the relationship. We don't drop it. We just start by acknowledging the most important part first because we can come thinking, He wants to help us. He wants to be involved. He's my Father. He longs to help me. He has this relationship with us. But guess what? He's the Father who's in heaven. If anyone can do it, it's Him. I recognize that you are God and you are in heaven. I recognize that from heaven, you have a vantage point that I don't have. You see things that I don't see. You can see what's around the corner. I can't even see what's happening later on today. So I see what I think I see. I I, I think I understand what I can see. I think I know what needs to be done, but you're in heaven. You know so much more than me. Because you see more than I do, you see what's round the corner. And why is it so important then to start prayer by saying, "My Father, who is in heaven," because when you pray, knowing to whom you are speaking, it's easy to have faith and trust in Him for the rest of the prayer. And the rest of the eyes and the me's and the mys, you can have faith. When you start by recognizing there's a relationship here and he's in heaven. So even if he's not answering the way you think he should answer, if he's not doing it your way, well, guess what? That's okay because he's my father in heaven. I trust him because he sees more than I see. And so if I don't understand it, that's okay because I know he does. Let me give you an example. In Acts 4, the group of Christians were being confronted at the Sanhedrin in the Jewish council, and they were told that they weren't allowed to preach the gospel anymore in Jerusalem. They had decided that the message of Christ would be illegal in the city of Jerusalem. And with that threat, they went to a prayer meeting, and this is how they began to pray. They didn't say, Oh, Lord, please help. We're really in big trouble. We don't know what to do. Ah! What they said was, Lord, You are God. You made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them. That's a good way to start a prayer when you're struggling. I realize I'm talking to the one who's in heaven who has no limitations whatsoever. So now I come with a request. And I'm centered, I am calm, I'm relaxed because I know the greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I can relax, I can enter into that and I'm acknowledging that and I'm finding peace even before I get to the request, before I get to the answer. I'm finding peace because I know who I'm talking to. See, when you and I come to prayer, it's so often like, oh, this is a really hard situation, really struggling. I, I'm 600 quid short on my bills this week. I, I, I don't know where I'm going to get the 600 pound from. Well, I say, like, well, hold on, hold, hold, hold. Just, just wait. We're praying to the one who like owns a, the cattle on a thousand hills. He created the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything that's in them. He uses refined gold to, for heaven's footpaths, for goodness sake. All I need is 600. 6,000 it's nothing to him we come to God and say look I, I have a cold I know you can heal that I-, I pray that you would in Jesus name but what if it's not cold what if it's the big sea? what if it's cancer oh <laughs> well actually that's no harder for the Lord than a cold you see if it's God doing the work you need to remember something so, so important. Difficulty must always be measured by the capacity of the agent doing the work. God is doing the work. He's unlimited. It is not difficult for God. You give a simple task to a toddler, they will struggle. Because... Difficulty is measured by the capacity of the agent. They're they're not old enough. They're not mature enough. They can't handle it. So what's easy for you and for me is hard for them. Uh, Reading a a book, depending on your level of education, might be easy or hard because it depends on the capacity who's doing it. So when we come to God, we need to realize that there is nothing too difficult for him. Our Father who art in heaven, and then it's holy is your name, hallowed is your name. It's the same idea as being sanctified, set apart, different, unique. I recognize you are to be honored, you are to be praised, you are to be magnified. And so I turn pouting into praise and prayer, because we know to whom we come. Your kingdom come is the next part. You know, how, how different would our prayer lives be if we filtered everything that we needed, everything that we would say to God, everything that we want, we would put it through that filter of God's kingdom and God's will. How would that change what our prayers look like? Your kingdom come, your will be done. What does it mean when we pray your kingdom come? Well, in one sense, it means that we're praying for his kingdom to literally come. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come set up shop. Come fix this earth. We're a mess. Come set up your kingdom. Come again, Lord. But he's going to do that whether we pray it or not. not, It's not going to change the timing of it. It's not going to change anything. But it's our hope, and it's good to voice our hope in prayer our longing in prayer god i can't wait for you to come i can't wait for sin to have no more control to have no more uh, influence to have no more power in this earth i can't wait for you to come nothing wrong with voicing that hope in prayer but i believe that when we pray thy kingdom come i'm praying for more than just jesus to come back and establish that kingdom I think it's more personal. I think it's saying, Lord, I'm inviting you to sit on the throne in my life and to be my king. God, I want you to be in charge. I want you to have rule and sway over me and, and not just influence my decisions, but to decide my decisions. I'm inviting your kingship that the Dictates my future. I want to do things according to your kingdom. I I want to make decisions that further your kingdom and your fame and your name. I'm not doing it for me. Don't want to live my life just for me. I'm living my life for you. You're my king. I serve you. And then that's followed by your kingdom come, thy will be done, or your will be done. But here in look, we don't have that. That's in Matthew, which is a different sermon uh, at a different time. Matthew is, of course, that big famous sermon, but this is just Jesus and his 12 here. And Luke. he's asking, he was asked a question. So I'm just going to stick with Luke here. But notice the, the flow of the template here. I recognize to whom I'm speaking, my Father who is in heaven. It's not an Amazon wish list in heaven. It's my father. There's a relationship. He loves me. He's enthroned in heaven. He has a vantage point like no one else. And I want his kingdom to come. I want his will to be done. I want him to reign and rule in my life. I want his will to be accomplished. And so now I filter everything through that grid. So that's the first part of the prayer. It's you. You're. And then we come to the second part of the prayer. And it's not me even. It's our It's interesting, isn't it, this plural in the prayer. It's not my Father who art in heaven. Our Father. Give us day by day, daily bread. This is whenever we pray, we recognize that we don't stand alone. It's not just me against the world. It's not you against the world. But we pray as part of a family. I love this idea of a personal relationship with Christ. But unfortunately, there's too many believers who think that means it's a private relationship with the Lord. It's not a private relationship with the Lord. We must have a personal relationship with Christ. But you do not have a private relationship with God. You have a personal one and it should be public and so he says give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation it's my belief that god wants to wants us to depend on him daily give us our daily bread it's not give us our monthly paycheck in advance or give us our meet the church's budget a year ahead of time it's give us this day Give us day by day what we need. I believe the Lord loves to hear from us on a daily basis. A dependence on him. I bug him early in the morning because I know that yesterday's meals aren't going to feed me today. They're not going to nourish me today. And so I come again and you do and say, Lord, I need your mercies, which are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. It's a daily dependence. And then we also recognize we need to forgive there's a principle that so often gets kind of intertwined with um, kind of our, our own bent on things, but it would seem to me that vertical forgiveness is, is linked to horizontal forgiveness. We have been forgiven much. Jesus told us in another pl- in another place, and so, who are we to withhold forgiveness from someone else who are we to decide that we should be forgiven and it's right that god deserves that forgives us so much but we're not going to forgive them for wronging us we have no right to do that if we have been forgiven so great a debt by god himself we can forgive others who owe us a much smaller debt we have no right to withhold forgiveness much more than that one of the proofs i think that a person is saved is their willingness to forgive if I see a person who harbors grudges and won't forgive, I have to truly wonder, even though they claim to be a Christian, even though they come to church, I have to ask myself, are you really saved? Do they not understand that God has forgiven them an eternal death? Do they not have any, any sense of perspective in that, Do they, that they have no right to withhold forgiveness? That they've no right to hold a grudge. They do not understand that if they've been forgiven vertically, horizontally, that has to be reflected. Ephesians 4:3. He says, "Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another." That's a command. Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. That's the principle. And this is, this is now particular to the gospel of Luke, and it's tied in with teaching that desire to pray. So, so when we get to these next verses, this is a continuation of the same teaching. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. This isn't separate. This is, this is additional. He says then, Which one of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, don't bother me. The door is not shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now, I read this and I think, I better not have a friend like that. I hope I don't have a friend that comes and gets me out of bed at midnight. You know, that's what Tesco's is open 24 hours for. There's the number for Domino's. Knock yourself out. However, in the ancient Middle East, especially in the summertime when it was so hot during the day, it was not uncommon for people to travel later in the evening in the cool of the day when the sun was that wee bit lower. So it would have been fairly normal, especially in the summertime, to have guests who were arriving, people who you were planning and expect to to knock on the door late on in the evening. And it wouldn't be unnatural then for that person who maybe doesn't have the wherewithal to feed or to house or to keep everyone. So you could very easily have someone knock out your door and say, listen, the in-laws have arrived. Can Can I get some bread? Can I get something? I don't have enough for them. The people Jesus was speaking to, they would totally understand this. The disciples would have totally understood this. It happened all the time. And I tell you, ask, it will be given to you. Seek you will find, Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be open. See, that parable of someone knocking the door, looking for bread, it's not a parable of comparison. It's a contrast. It's a parable of contrast. God is not a cranky neighbor that you have to annoy, to get him out of bed, to get the stuff that you need for your daily life. It's not one of those things that you keep banging and keep banging, and if you pray enough times, if you overwhelm him with the quantity and the length and the annoyance of your prayers, that he'll get, fine, look, just take this off. Leave me alone. That's not the lesson here. He's not comparing God to the the cranky neighbor. He's contrasting a grumpy neighbor to a gracious God. Guys, a grumpy neighbor will give you food if you keep on persisting, but only because you, you annoyed him. The kids are waking up, the dog's barking, and now the wife's kicking me in my sleep. But if a grumpy neighbor eventually will even get up, how much more do you think our gracious father would do? It's a contrast. Now, there's a commandment then. I say to you, therefore, Ask something I want you to get into your hearts here, something I need you to dig away from, from church tonight. Keep on praying. Don't give up and never stop knocking, never stop seeking. Now, immediately, those of you who are astute Bible teach, uh, students will say, hold, hold on. Kind of sounds like you do have to annoy Jesus into giving you stuff. It kind of does read that you have to kind of keep bugging But actually, when Jesus is saying, keep on praying, when he's saying, keep on asking, he doesn't mean you do it with one request. What he's saying is, keep doing it throughout your life as a picture of your lifestyle. Don't ever be scared to go and knock the door of your father. Don't ever be scared to go and ask him for something, whatever time it is, whatever it is you need. Don't be scared to take it to the Lord in prayer. You may not feel, you know, so, so imagine you had to go to your grumpy neighbor and say, look, listen, the electric out. can I borrow a torch or can I borrow something, you know, to help me get, get sorted out? Well, if the next night, something happens again, you think, well, I'm not going to go to that guy again. I'm going to have to, I'll maybe skip his house and kind of go around to, to two doors down or three doors down because it's like, oh, I can't, oh, can't get him up again. i after last night. But with God, you can go back the next night. And ask for something again. You can go back and 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 you can keep going to Him. Whatever it is the need is, you can keep taking your need to Him. That you will continually and always bring everything before God in prayer because you have a gracious Heavenly Father. Paul would put it this way to to the churches pray without ceasing. That's the idea, and we have a promise attached to this command. I, you know, I've often wondered why the, Jesus had to tell his disciples to pray. I often wonder why they would need that encouragement. Surely, um, you know, he was right there. The stuff that they would have seen, surely it would have be been like, okay, do something else, do something else. And it must have been so exciting for them. Surely it must have been so much easier to pray when you're actually physically talking to Jesus himself. What I don't have to think about is why I need to be commanded to pray. I need that command, I need that sense of, listen, Jeff, you need to take this to me, bring this to me. Why are you trying to do it in your own strength? Why are you struggling along by yourself? Bring, you have to bring this stuff to me. Tell you why I need to be told. Sometimes I just forget. I get caught up in the busyness, and before I realise it, I'm like, you know, I kind of missed out a step here. <laughs> I, I should have taken us to Jesus long before now. But I forget because I'm human and I doubt because I'm human, and I despair. There's times where it feels like I can't see God, and I don't know what he's doing, and I despair. So here's why Jesus then comes in and says, listen, I am telling you. I am commanding you. I am ordering you as a father to a son, as a father to a daughter. Don't Stop. Keep talking to me as a manner of your lifestyle about everything that goes on in your life. Do it daily. Do it all the time. Keep doing it because you have a gracious heavenly Father. It's a command. Keep going don't give up don't say well i i didn't get the answer that i wanted so i'm not going to pray anymore jeremiah 33 3 has a similar command god says call unto me and i will answer you i will show you great and mighty things which you know not we like to think that we know everything when we're going to pray god listen here's the problem but by the way here's the solution as well we like to think that we know but here jeremiah god is saying through jeremiah no no i'm going to show you things that you don't know I'm going to show you a way that you never even thought of. Can I, can I add to this as well? Be honest in your prayers. Don't pretend. Don't bug me so much whenever um, you see people and they're like, hey, what's going on? What's the crack? Hey, how's it going? And then they start to pray. Oh, Lord, thou artest. this going, who's this guy? Where, where did the other guy go? He was nice. Where, where did the thespian come from? I don't understand that as if speaking differently can con him into doing more for us. Being honest, I find, is always a far better way to speak to a parent. Because when you speak honestly before God, at least then he's willing and able to take you through the real issues, to take you through the important stuff. And you start there, and you can honestly leave with the perspective on everything else. It's okay to go to God and say, I'm not doing okay. It's okay to go to God and say, I'm actually struggling to really kind of put my trust here in you. God, I'm struggling to see what you're doing here because I can't fathom it, and I can't understand why it's taking so long for things to move. I can't understand. It's okay. At least you're being honest. How else are you supposed to pray? O Lord, thou art so wise and mighty and wonderful, and I can't help but bend the knee and fall. When that's not how you're feeling. Be honest with him. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And he goes on in verse 11. Again, this is still all about the subject of prayer. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Imagine you're going into McDonald's and the people in your car are absolutely starving. So you grab them a Big Mac. And you slip the meat patty out and you put a little flat rock in there instead. And with a kind of a little smile, you go, there you go, son, crack on. Then you can't wait to see your look on his face when he bites into the stone. Well, you're going to break his teeth and you're going to break his heart. And you're probably going to get a divorce from your wife for doing something like that. Or or, or what if you're at home and your kid comes along and asks for a ham sandwich? Are you going to put a snake in there? Scorpion? Of course not. You're not going to do that. If you're any kind of a parent, if your child is hungry, you give them something to eat. Now, I want you to notice these words. Because what our Lord is teaching us is that you can take the most intimate relationship between a parent and a child. And you can think of the, the love that is there. But God's love is so much more. If any kind of a parent is going to meet the needs of the children, how much more our Father who is in heaven. You know, over the years, I've watched a lot of parents with their kids. I've watched a lot of kids with their parents. Um, I've been, uh, 2005, I started as a youth pastor And so for the last 15 years, I I, I full time, I'm working with families of different dynamics and different ages. And here's what I've noticed. A child will ask their parent based on what they believe their parent to be. If the parent is angry the parent is stingy, if the parent is distracted always on their phone or interested in other things, the child will come and ask for very little because they believe they can get very little from the parent. But if the parent is generous and inviting and approachable, it's a different story. Now, grandparents are a different thing altogether because the kids don't even ask and say, here, here's some sugar, here's some sweets, here, have some money, here, go, do stuff." It's a different ballgame altogether. But we should be in the habit of doing hard things for Jesus, going into messy situations and hard places and help bringing people to Jesus and bring Jesus to people. And I believe then that there'll be times in our lives, there'll be times in our Christian walk where we will need to go to our Father and say, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I need your help. I need more help from you. I need that power. What does, what does Jesus say? how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit? You'll get the help you need. You'll get God with you. An extra sense of awareness that He is there with you. Listen, if you're struggling to pray, it's not because our Father in heaven is refusing to listen but I'll put it to you as we close that maybe you just need to slow down. Pause. Remember to whom you speak. Remember to whom you come. Our Father who art in heaven, who seeks to only give you things that are good, filter your thoughts and filter your requests through, uh, through honesty, through the kingdom come, through his will to be done, and then leave no matter what happens, no matter what the result is, he is sovereign and he is worthy of our trust. He is worthy of resting in him and who he is. They said this morning, we can be so fickle in our Christian lives. We, we look at circumstances and we feel the ups and downs and we go up and down with them. But when we anchor ourselves in who he is and what he has done for us, that's where we find that stability. That's where we find that, that place where we can rest and anchor ourselves in. We finished this morning by saying, make sure you spend time at the feet of Jesus where we're finishing tonight spend that time resting in him know to whom you come and the rest will follow and now I'm going to have to close in prayer tonight that's going to be hard he's all been no, judging me and marking me now but um, oh no actually what we'll do is we'll, we'll, we'll sing first so I'm going to ask the musicians to come up and then we'll close in prayer and then uh, there's tea and coffee afterwards, so I hope just come, guys, and then I'll come up and cl- <coughs> Father, so often we come to pray, and we often don't really know what we're supposed to say, because we don't really know what we're supposed to be asking for. We know what we want, but... So often we, we also know that it can be a bit self-centered or because it's looking for the easier option rather than the best option. Lord, I pray that we would have a, a desire for a more mature relationship with you. Lord, that we would grow into people who are not like toddlers who said it's mine, I want, I want, I want. But we learn to just simply rest in your presence. To be able to bring our cares and our worries honestly before you and leave knowing that our Father who is in heaven is more than able to deal with them. If we simply let you do that. If we listen to your voice, if we hear, Respond to what you're saying. Lord, I pray. Help us to hear and to see the answers to our prayers. That we know where we're supposed to go and and how we're supposed to deal with things. But Lord, I pray that we would never, ever give up in praying. That we would never give up in running to you and finding comfort in your presence, Lord. Lord, spur us on to keep coming back to a father who has promised that he would never leave us, that he will never forsake us, that he will always do what is best for us. And so, Lord, we come and we say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for being so faithful. Thank you for being so loving. Thank you for being so patient. And Lord, we would pray that even as we go down and we'll have tea and coffee now and we chat to people, Lord, may we encourage one another. May we be a church that takes time to pray with each other. And we ask this in your precious name. Amen.